With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Spend some time in the country. Live from Ontario and heard around the world. Welcome to In the Country with your host, Dave Woods. This is the radio show where country music gets up close and personal. Spend some time in the country and get to know our guests. Spend some time in the country where the music's the best. The latest news and memories to great stories that get told. Spend some time in the country, now it's time we start the show. It's my great pleasure to welcome to In the Country, singer-songwriter Benita Hill. She was a background vocalist for the Allman Brothers. She's had hits recorded by Garth Brooks. She's toured with Conway Twitty, and she's been called Nashville's greatest jazz singer by Phil Sweetland of the New York Times. My pleasure to have her here on the show to talk about songwriting, music, and so much more. Welcome, Benita. Hey, Dave. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> it is, I'm doing awesome. It's so great to have you on the show. And as you know, we're broadcasting out of uh, near Toronto, Ontario. And uh, Canada and Toronto specifically is a, a pretty big place for you. Yeah, it's. I love Toronto. My fiancé lives there, and I travel there a lot, and I work there. Some have uh, done Tin Pan North a couple of years and, and gotten to know a lot of great songwriters up in the Toronto area, plus I just uh, finished a new album, which I, uh, my producer is uh, a Toronto native, and also we mixed it there too, in Toronto, so recorded it in Nashville and mixed it there, yeah. That is so great to hear about that Canadian connection, I love that, and we have so much to yeah. talk about, and we've got a couple of uh, your past songs to play on the show, including Look Homeward Angel, uh, which is such a beautiful song, and we'll get the story behind that and more. There's so much to talk about here. Why don't we head back to, like, way back at the start, you were nine years old giving your first performance. That must have really got you uh, sort of excited about music. Yeah, I was nervous, and uh, but I, and I got encouraged by um, my Girl Scout troop leader to sing on a hayride, and uh, once I overcame my stage fright and realized it was just a bunch of my friends listening um i got over it and it was great and i remember i got a badge i can't remember i think i think it might have been a public speaking badge i don't know if they had singer badges back then in the girls Cup, right but it was like i think it but i think it was like public speaking which was like the closest thing to performance you know mm-hmm. of the uh badges they gave out so anyway yeah it was it was great it was very affirming and uh i'll never forget yeah. it yeah, at, at that young age, those kind of things are confidence boosters for sure. And, and, and you grew absolutely. up with so much. Yeah, and and all the kids need it out there, don't they? And not only those kind of things, but uh, music in schools is so important, isn't it? Oh, I believe that too. 
uh, I wish more people thought, you know, really realized. And I guess a lot of people are starting to, it seems like it's a small but powerful voice of people who rally to keep those music programs alive in schools because mm-hmm. it does help children to excel in all of their studies, uh, just the, the study of music and just being able to enjoy and perform, or even if, you, if you're not a performer or a singer or a player, just to appreciate right. it makes such a difference in your life. Definitely. And you had a great influence on you. I mean, a lot of people, as did you, musical artists as influence, but more directly, uh, your mother was a singer and and a singer of some note. Tell us about uh, her performance and some of the the big people she performed with. Yeah, she sang in big bands in the 1940s and 50s, and uh, she worked at several clubs in uh, Chicago area, most notably the Chez Paris, which was a big nightclub at the time where all the big stars would come through, and she played with the house uh, called the Don Quiesta Orchestra, and they opened and performed for all the big acts that came through, like Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis and Lena Horne and Carmen Miranda and, uh, let's see, Danny Thomas. She, I've got a, lot, a nice catalog of, of some old pictures of her with some of those people, which is a treasure. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so there's always music around my house, too, so it was great. Now, you have such a beautiful voice, you sing jazz, and you write some songs that have been uh, interpreted as country songs, been recorded as country songs, we'll get more into that, but on the songwriting side of things, when did you first start writing songs? Well, um, I think I started writing songs, I wasn't really even aware I was writing songs, I had a little guitar, I think, when I was 11 or 12, and I wrote poems, and I just kind of made up uh melodies to go with these poems and I didn't really realize that I was songwriting at the time until later I guess that was kind of the beginning but mostly I just wanted to write down uh, you know a lot of it like young girls do dear diary you know you write down your feelings and your thoughts and sometimes you write poetry and it was just a way of of expressing myself and then and I I loved music of course so I was I was fanatic about that I played the piano too and took piano lessons so I just, I don't know, it just kind of unfolded naturally, I guess. Yeah, just, I was going to say naturally, organically, the songs just flowed out of you. Yeah. And at what point, Benidi, do you think you felt your songs were good enough that, uh, obviously, to sing them on stage, maybe to to pitch them to other artists, when did you get to that point where you thought, man, I'm writing some good stuff here? Well, uh, I was uh, I was writing, and I was going to... Um, Actually, I was going to college in Kentucky at Murray State University. And I had this, you know, we were close to Nashville, and I loved country music. I loved Dolly Parton. I liked Waylon and Willie, The Outlaws. And there was kind of a lot going on in the in the late 70s of and uh, early 80s of the kind of music that I that I really liked. It was, um, and it was also like there was a lot of pop influences in music, too, because, like, what I do, it's kind of, like, all across the board. I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm – I wouldn't consider myself a country artist, but I just appreciate good songwriting, and I thought what I was hearing that was coming out of Nashville was such great songwriting. And uh, so I was – while I was going to college, I was writing songs, and I was sending them to publishers in Nashville, and I got some interest from a publisher. So I started to make trips down to Nashville and uh, play songs for – uh, the publisher, and he got me appointments to play with other, uh, play for other producers. So uh, I got, started to get a few cuts, and that's when I decided I was 
ready for the big time, and I dropped out of college wow. and moved to Nashville, which <laughs> which I wasn't ready yet. <laughs> I thought I was, but <laughs> when I got here, that's when the real work starts. So you know, it's um, it's definitely a uh, a uh, testing ground for your uh, the, only the strong survive. I think. <laughs> Well, I think that story, uh, you know, a lot of artists have gone through that. And Garth Brooks, I know, reading up on him uh, in the past, you know, he went to Nashville once and I guess didn't work Mm -hmm. out so well, came back. So I guess a big part of it is having that confidence obviously gets you to Nashville, gets you to believe your songs are great. But then I guess, as you said, you kind of find out a little more work than that. And you have to have that. You have to have faith in yourself and you have to have faith in your dream. Uh, and, and, And but. With that comes the, uh, if you want to stay in it, you have to pay the price of, um, I always tell young people that I work with or that I meet that are kind of starting along that path now that, uh, you know, you have to really want it, you have to believe in yourself, and you have to not give up. And you're going to hear more no's than yeses, but you've got to, you know, focus on those yeses and keep moving forward. And, and with songwriting specifically as part of that uh, part of that package for an artist you mentioned being part of Tin Pan North and uh, the NSAI mm-hmm. of course operates that that's the Canadian version there's Tin Pan yeah. South and NSAI right. in in general and they critique songs and and I've been through that before as a songwriter but uh, when you are critiqued about a song how should you as a songwriter uh, handle that because uh, obviously every song is going to have uh, feedback on it but if you are serious about wanting to improve and I'm I'm really surprised at the number of young people that I work with and 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 some other people they're not necessarily all young but a lot a lot of people decide you know later in life that they want to do this it's always been a dream but they've had to work or support a family and then when they're retired and they're a little bit more free with their time, they decide to put more time into songwriting. So you have to really want to improve your craft and want to get better. So, you know, taking advice from people who have achieved those goals that you're still striving for and have been successful songwriters, you want to listen to them and hear what they have to say. Now, um, yeah, as far as critiquing songs, yeah, I always listen. Sometimes my feelings will get very hurt, yes. But on the other hand, I think it definitely helped me to become a better writer is to listen to the you know the people that came before me and had the hits so that I could learn how mm-hmm. to write better is there a common weakness uh, an area that songwriters can improve on when writing songs sort of a, a top thing that you know a newcomer might not be aware of and might help them uh, get to another level well it's such a fine line because you know, there's so many themes that are popular, especially in country. There's love and loss and uh, drinking <laughs> and, uh, you know, partying. And, you know, that's all good. But, you know, getting away from stereotypes and yet having saying something that everybody wants to hear, that everybody can relate to in a completely new and unique and different way. And that's always the challenge, I think, for any songwriter in any genre, no matter what kind of a song you're writing. And I think it's important to, once you have learned the craft of songwriting and that, you know, songs take, there's a certain form, there's a certain structure to a lot of uh, great songs, and you have to pay attention to the craft of songwriting. But then you also have to write from your heart and and working from your own personal experience if it's real 
so that you can have the emotion in as well as the craft. Because just crafting a song, you can probably write a maybe a, a, a as far as writing craft goes, a perfect song but it might not necessarily move people or touch their hearts. So you want to be able to do that. And even if you're writing like a drinking song, a fun song like two pina coladas, you want people to be able to feel. You want them to feel good. You want them to feel like, wow, I'm having a great time. And, you know, Mm -hmm. this song is helping me have a great time. Or if it's a sad song, you know, I just went through a divorce or I had a, uh, you know, a a big loss in my life and I'm I'm very sad. And you, you, you want to hear that song that, kind of affirms the feelings that you have inside. You know that person who's singing it and, or who wrote it has been through that too. And it, it's kind of like a good friend, an old friend, a song. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a great way of describing a song. And, you know, and we're going to talk about two Pina Claudas a bit later, that you had a hand in writing a huge hit for Garth Brooks. Is, is there a song out there, Benita, other than one of your own that has got you through some tough times, that's been like an old friend that's comforted you? Oh, gosh, probably too many to mention. <laughs> I mean, I just love music so much, and I love great songs. And I love, you know, I love, um, there's so many great songs coming out of Nashville now, and I love the old Great American Songbook. You know, those are some of my favorite songs of all time. And kind of that's kind of what my what I grew up with with my mom, you know, listening to big band stuff and, and standards. And there's just so many great songs, like the songs of, George Gershwin and Cold Porter and Johnny Mercer mm-hmm. and Irving Berlin and all those great writers. Yeah, there's just that that's a tough one. I get asked yeah. that a lot. Oh, like, I know. A song? Like, oh my God, I can't. I, there's, there's just no way I could say I have one favorite song. <laughs> Let's head back to the early 1980s when you had a chance to work with a country legend, and I, I'm a huge fan of the country legends grew up listening to them. And this guy's one of my favorites from that bunch, Mr. Conway Twitty. Tell me about working with Conway. I was performing at Mississippi Whiskers when a girl, a lady, Pam Wolf, that had just gotten this job as a background singer for, for Conway, had uh, was looking to fill a couple other positions uh, and needed a couple more background singers. So she heard me, and I got to meet him like right after that because I auditioned for the job, which I got. And then when we were, Pam Wolf and I used to write songs together, and we would play our songs for Conway, who was, I never did get a chance to write with him. He, I don't think he really wrote songs, but he was a great champion of songwriters. And mm-hmm. he, uh, so we got the nerve to play some of the songs we had been writing, and he was always very, you know, he didn't cut anything, but he would always uh, give us direction, pointers, uh, say where, where it could be stronger or say, and, and if we heard from him, wow, that's a really good song, you know, it was great because it was like, wow, we yeah. we did something that, you know, Conway Twitty liked. Even if he didn't record it, it's still, you know, there's so many factors other than just somebody liking a song that's going to, whether that's the right song for them to record, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what yeah. What a stamp of yeah. approval because Conway you know, it's an understatement. He knew a hit song when he heard it. So to get that feedback was incre- must have been incredible. Yeah, I would say he was probably the first big star that we got positive feedback from. And then, of course, you know, like you said earlier, a little bit of that affirmation just keeps you in the game, keeps you wanting to play the game because you <laughs> hold on to those moments because there is a lot of heartache along the way. So you have to remember those moments when uh, you know um, you know you're close. 
You might not be there yet, but you know you're getting close. Right. That's a great feeling, too, getting close, knowing your song is almost there and your songwriting uh, expertise is almost there. It's an exciting time when you're when you're getting there. It was. You know, I look back now and all the struggles and, and um, how hard it was, but it, but it was an exciting time, and it was a time when, you know, I think my soul or, you know, just, uh, you know, your heart, the heart and soul of a, of a songwriter, you just, you just want to be so good at what you do, and you want to say those words that can touch people's hearts and make a difference in their life. I am speaking with singer-songwriter Benita Hill, and be sure to head to her website, BenitaHill.com. Also, be sure to head to iTunes. You'll find her albums there, beautiful music uh, you will find from her. We're going to play a song in just a moment, but after the song, we still have stories about Garth Brooks coming up and The Healing Power of a Song, which is a great DVD, and we'll learn more about that from Benita. But let's turn to a song now from your Fan the Flame CD, which is available at iTunes. The song is Look Homeward Angel. And tell us about this song, Benita, and, uh, and then we're going to play it for everyone. Well, that song, it's its kind of sad. Uh, I wrote it with Sandy Mason. She's one of my very best friends and a great, great songwriter. Um, written lots of songs with her. And we were together uh, one day, and we were talking. I think we saw a story on television about a lady who maybe uh, uh, it was, I won't mention who it was, but it was a, a well-known a celebrity. And it was kind of like she, she'd had this, at one time, wonderful career, but kind of died without a lot of money and had, had bad management. And, and like her manager or agent kind of, took her for everything and she really got screwed and it was just so it was so sad and tragic that mm. it ended that way so that's kind of what inspired that idea for that song let's hear the song now we have plenty more to talk about with Benita Hill here is look homeward angel on in the country There's a picture hanging on the wall of a younger girl who had it all, but that young girl doesn't live here anymore. Many men have loved her, but she always had her mindset on having lots of people know her name. But that's all come and gone now, what a shame.
how she was so proud to show went up for sale not long ago too much room for a woman all alone and a diamond bracelet that she wears from a man she thought would always care is the only piece of jewelry that she owns living for the moment never planning for the future thinking everything she had was here to stay those things don't really matter anyway look homeward angel to the child that you once knew still a part of you so many sweet dreams are still waiting to come true look homeward angel to the child in child in you and that is my guest singer songwriter Benita Hill the song is called Look Homeward Angel and you can find that song on iTunes plus many more of her songs and we have another one coming up on the show in just a bit uh, her website is BenitaHill.com be sure to check that out as well let's talk about the healing power of a song and that is a DVD and I'll let you tell us more about that because uh, we talked about songwriting earlier and just how powerful songs of course are to to listeners and to tell us all about uh, the healing power of a song. Yeah, well, I had I I did that DVD uh, in 2007. I had uh, I'd had the idea for a long time, but I worked with some people that helped me make that uh, that story uh, a reality on on film. That was uh, Bob Hill and Stephanie Reeves Hill, and Terry Crotzer was the director. And uh, Terry and I wrote the, it was really my story, but we just kind of wanted, we were pitching it to try to get it on a network or on public television or specifically the Oprah Winfrey Network, which I thought it would be a great Mm -hmm. story for. But turned down by all of the, actually it did air here on public television in Nashville. It also aired on the Blue Highways cable network which is national. I don't know if it's, I I think it's available on some uh, of some in some places in in Canada too, but it, it is here in the states anyway. So that was um, the story of kind of my story. It was my story of being uh, having hits with Garth and having all these wonderful things happen, and my career finally kind of getting my big break. And then I got diagnosed with cancer at the same time. So uh, it was. Uh, 
it was a, a time of joy and also a time of deep in, introspection and sadness because I wasn't sure I was even going to still be around to enjoy my success, plus, or mainly to raise my child, who was my son was eight years old at the time. So uh, anyway, I, I did get better. This was in 1997. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it, cancer, it's a funny thing. Now it's everywhere. We see cancer is just like... Everybody knows somebody either in their family or a friend or or if you haven't had it yourself. I mean, it's just so rampant. And I really think, mm. but at that, you know, at that time, it was, I was young and it was like, oh, how did this happen to me? You know, I was young and healthy and didn't think I was right. a candidate for something like that. But anyway, um, everything worked out. I've been healthy uh, ever since and uh, just grateful to God that I had the opportunity or still have the opportunity to making music so this story was kind of uh, the dvd was it kind of reflects my story my journey in the music business and then through cancer and uh getting the songs cut with garth and um kind of a little retrospective of, of my career up to that point so which i'm i'm still uh no plans of retiring like i said <laughs> i have a new album coming out and uh very excited about it well, that's wonderful. And the DVD, uh, where can our listeners purchase that? Can they buy it online? Yes, and you can actually buy it right on BenitaHill.com, and that's Benita with an E, B-E-N-I-T-A-H-I-L-L. So, uh, yeah, BenitaHill.com, and you can buy The Healing Power of a Song. Excellent. Now, you mentioned the new album and the Canadian connection with the producer. Uh, t- tell us about about the new album. What kind of music can we expect on this? Well, it's a little bit different. It's uh, more pop, uh, but there's definitely, like in everything I do, I think it kind of reflects all the styles and, and, and different kind of music that I've been influenced by and that I love, which is a little bit of everything, pop, country, jazz, um, uh, even classical. <laughs> so it's, uh, and some kind of theater, theatrical kind of music. It's a dramatic album. Mm-hmm. It's, an album right. of I've written all the songs. It's an album of modern torch songs. So the songs wow. are reflect a um, a mood and kind of a, a a little bit of of darkness, but a lot of light too. It's uh, kind of like the the sun shining at, after after the storm. Mm. I like that, and that's. Yeah, and, different so beat, and I have different beats here, too, so there's it's a little bit more rhythmic and it's a little bit more um, a little bit more pop. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And, Benita, when can we expect uh, that album to be available? Um, I'm, probably March or April. So we're just kind of finishing up the album uh, graphics right now. The album is, itself is done, so... We're just going to the next step now is uh, getting it to getting it ready to print up. <laughs> that is wow! What an exciting time! It is. It's very exciting, and and uh, I can't wait to share it with everybody. So, uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, I'll definitely let you know when it's when it's available. Yeah, <laughs> please do, please do, and we'll be following at uh, BenitaHill.com as well to keep up to date on that. Well, let's turn now to Garth Brooks and that big chapter in your life. And what I love about this when I was reading up on it, uh, of course, two out, two songs on the album Sevens, Take the Keys to My Heart and the big mm-hmm. smash hit, Two Pina Coladas. And then the, the other powerful song, It's Your Song, uh, which which we'll talk about as well. But 
so with those songs, the cool part about it, not how not just how successful they were, Benita, but just prior to that, you you had uh, I guess a note or or something from your publishing company uh, saying that your songs weren't country enough. They're pretty ironic. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, you know I always did write kind of more. Uh, I wrote I did write a lot of pop stuff, but I was writing country songs for years, all the years that I've been here. And uh, anyway, this one particular company, it was it was uh, uh, very disappointing to be let down and let go as a songwriter, but. But uh, two months or a month later or two months later, I uh, Garth Brooks recorded "Take the Keys to My Heart," so it was very, wow. it was really wonderful. <laughs> now tell so us how this it, came about. Yeah. You have your, yeah, you have your versions of those songs, and listening to them, they're wonderful songs. But would an artist hear them as country? How did Garth hear it as a Garth song? Well, actually. I was working at Alan Reynolds' studio, and, who is Garth's producer, and Garth was coming in to record a new album, and I got the nerve to give him a copy of my uh, self, my first self-made CD, Fan the Flame, which had Take the Keys to My Heart on it. And this album is not, it's not a country album. It's a song, mm-hmm. all of my albums are songwriter albums. I've, I've written um, most of the songs on all of my albums, maybe not all of them, but um, so... Uh, I had no. I just kind of wanted to share with Garth. I had pitched Garth songs before, country demos of songs I'd written, and he was always very nice and was like, "Yeah, I like your writing, and keep pitching me songs." But I never had gotten. You know, he never said, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to cut one." Well, he. I gave him a copy of Sand the Flame to share who I was as an artist, and he came back in the next day and said, "I'm going to cut a song off that album." And I was just flabbergasted because it was very. What he heard is a very jazz swing arrangement of Take the Keys to My Heart. And then right. his arrangement, how he heard it, was totally different. It was almost, ironically, it was like, to me, it was like Allman Brothers, kind of Southern rock, the way he did it, which was cool because that, you know, <laughs> that was definitely a big part of my life, too, mm-hmm. in, uh, being with them, the Allman Brothers. So, uh, yeah, it was it was, it was was awesome. It was just fantastic. But Garth, you know, he doesn't have, he's, he's one of those people who doesn't really have boundaries either. He's a country artist, but he doesn't, he's not limited as to what he can hear. Like if he hears a song that he likes, he, he doesn't care, you know, what style it's in. He'll make it his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talk about an artist who uh, broke all boundaries and, and record sales and everything. I mean, he just reinvented everything and did it his own way. So that's Take the Keys to My Heart. Now, two Pina Coladas, which climbed up the charts, and, you know, it's a sing-along song. It's a fun song. How did you uh, feel when you heard Garth's wonderful, uh, energetic version of that song? Oh, I just loved it. it. It was, exactly. It was all those things. It was just feel good and energetic and Sandy Mason, my co-writer on it, actually two co-writers, Sandy Mason and Sean Camp, both incredible writers that we'd written together uh, many times before we wrote that song. But, uh, yeah, we just had fun that day, really, just sitting in a writing session, and and that song kind of fell out. It was a cold day, and we dreamed about how much fun it might be to be at the beach having a pina colada or two, (laughs) one in each hand. (laughs) So we wrote that, and uh, we had no idea Sandy was actually the one who played it for Alan Reynolds, Garth's producer, because she was going to let Jimmy Buffett hear it because he had a record label, Margaritaville Records in Nashville at the time. And uh, Mm -hmm. 
she was going to take it over there and ran into Ellen Reynolds, and Ellen said, let me hear your new song, and then the rest is history. So it never made it to Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> he probably wouldn't have cut it anyway because he writes his own stuff, and he's great at it. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's wow. What an amazing story that, to hear how, you know, just how the song got to Garth and how the song started and ended up with his version. Now, another song that uh, he recorded, which became, uh, I know it was very personal for Garth and very meaningful. And of course, everyone who listened to it, knowing the story behind it, it's your song. And to yeah. tell us a bit about that one. You know, after I had completed my bout with cancer, I really wanted to include something on my second CD that was a tribute to my mom, who was a singer, as I said earlier, in the big bands. And I wanted to, she always encouraged me to live my dream, and, and she was my biggest cheerleader and my biggest fan. And so I wrote that song with Pam Wolf, a longtime uh, co-writer of mine, mm-hmm. uh, and we, uh, I wanted to include it on my second CD. Well, about that same time, Garth's mother, who was also a singer and was his biggest cheerleader and fan and and kind of, you know, helped him to get where he got. I mean, she just was his, Mm -hmm. the one who was behind him all the way. And he adored, adores his mother. Uh, Rest in peace. She's she's passed on now, too. But uh, he wanted to record it as a tribute to his mom. So both of our moms got to hear it before they went on to sing in the heavenly choir. And, right, uh, wow. Yeah, we'll be singing it's, there with them one of these days. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, the song is so beautiful. It's your song, and anyone who hasn't heard that in a while can go on YouTube or iTunes to pick up uh, mm-hmm. that song. It is just wonderful. I want to turn to a great song of yours now, Bonita. Uh, this one's called Tangerine Moon from the CD of the same name, and it is available uh, And actually, it's your iTunes. song and... Uh, Two Pina Coladas are on that album, too. That's amazing. So our listeners can pick up your version of those songs, which is terrific. I'll encourage them to do that. So tell me about Tangerine Moon before we play it. Yeah. Well, once again, that was also written about that time when I was just recovering from uh, chemotherapy. And um, one of my co-writers, I wrote that with Pam Wolf and Sandy Mason, and uh, she came into my hospital room and said, did you see that full moon out there tonight? And I said, no. And she pulled open the curtains, and there was this giant orange ball. And I said, it looks like a tangerine moon. And she said, oh, it's like a big orange <laughs> balloon. And I thought, well, that sounds like a song. Let's write it. So in that moment, I felt like, wow, I can still think of ideas. I can still write a song. So that was like the life force to me. That was also very affirming is that, I don't have to just lay here and feel sorry for myself. I can actually do something and keep doing what I've always loved and not have to, because uh, I was very, you know, like I said, it was just when you're hit with a cancer diagnosis, you know, the the first thing that start you start thinking about about is I'm not ready to die yet, and how am I going? Now I might die, and what am I going to do? You know, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. So, yeah, it was very affirming. So we wrote that song, and uh, I, I titled my CD. Uh, with that song because uh, well it's it's a great song I like I really like it it's got a lot of hope and uh, it's kind of how I felt then it's that a great song a, a great start over a great title a place to start over I love that and that gets back to the whole thing about the healing power of a song not only for you Benita but for people who listen to your music they you know they get healed if they're going through something pretty tough 
Yeah. Oh, God, I hope so, because this is, that's, that's I think for any songwriter, that's the most affirming thing is that, you know, you made somebody feel something, whether it was, you know, even if they were sad, if it helped them to relate, uh, you know, to their, their sadness in a way that they didn't feel alone with it, or, mm-hmm. or that it made them happy, or that it made them, um, uh, yeah, want to... Uh, play the song at their wedding or, <laughs> you know, yeah, something, something wonderful like that. Yeah. 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 To bring it into their lives and have it as a, as a big part of their life. And, and I, I yeah. read recently yeah. and maybe I knew this part, uh, but not consciously, but with a sad song, it, it usually doesn't make us sad, you know, it, because somebody else is going through something that maybe we're going through, it actually kind of lifts us up a bit, comforts us instead of bringing us down. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, even a sad song will do that. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Let's hear that song now. We have a lot more to talk about uh as we continue with Benita, we're going to uh reminisce about the Almond Brothers and touch on a couple of other things. Right now, this is Benita Hill and Tangerine Moon on In the Country.
And that's my guest, Benita Hill, with her song Tangerine Moon from the album of the same name. And you'll find that at iTunes, along with all her other music. And you can visit her online at either Facebook or BenitaHill.com. Let's reminisce now about uh, your days with the Allman Brothers. You were a background vocalist for them. Uh, Share with us some of those memories, Benita. Yeah, that was in the uh, 1980 and 81, right after Conway Twitty, uh, and I was singing in a club in Nashville, and Mike Lawler, who was the key, uh, he played Hammond B3 in the Allman Brothers, um, actually not Hammond B3, that was Greg, he played the other keyboard, I think it was just like an electric piano, or, anyway, he played all kinds of things, he played keyboards too, so uh, he said, oh, the background singer had just left and, and we're, all, we're in the middle of this tour and we need somebody and do you want to come and audition? I was like, oh my God, of course. And so right after I left my gig that night, I remember stopping by Tower Records and buying all, Allman Brothers' greatest hits album so I could go home and like <laughs> do a crash course in learning all the parts on singing back up on all those songs because I was going to go down to Florida and audition for Dickie and Greg in a couple of days. So I did. I went down and uh, flew down there and uh, sang, went over to Dickie Betts' house, and we just kind of jammed around in, in his living room, and uh, I got the job. It was great. <laughs> and then I was on the road with him for almost, uh, well, almost close to two years, a little over a year and a half, and uh, we just went all over the States, all over Canada. Um, we, we did Saturday Night Live. We played a lot of festivals. We played Madison Square Garden. Um, it was just absolutely amazing. It was it was crazy. It was, uh, you know, pretty much a wild time. I was, although they used to call me the model prisoner because I was so tame compared <laughs> to them. <laughs> <laughs> But they were wow. great. They were they were literally like my brothers, and I grew up with three brothers, so I could handle myself with a bunch of guys. So it was, it was all good. <laughs> that is awesome. I was also uh, reading that while you're going to university, you'd, you'd uh, spend some weekends at the Grand Ole Opry, checking out a lot of the country legends, big names, especially at that time. Uh, what, what are your memories of the Grand Ole Opry, and even to this day, what what is it about that place that's so special? Well, back when I was coming down, of course, it was at the Ryman, and they still have it at the Ryman now, um, mostly on, uh, like, they'll have a special series of the Opry at the Ryman, but they still have it, the main Opry down out of the Grand Ole Opry House in, um, at Opry Mills. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that it was, uh, I just loved it felt so great because I just loved, well, I used to see Dolly Parton there. I saw Merle Haggard there. I just loved the the quality of the writing and the performing, and I thought Dolly Parton was beautiful. I really liked her. I thought I wanted to be her because she was, you know, beautiful mm-hmm. and wrote all her own songs and, and was smart, you know, which is, she is all oh, yeah. of those things. <laughs> and, yes. uh Yeah, so, so it was, uh, yeah, I, I just... Uh, I, I really studied uh, I, the country uh, country writing, and then I really I thought it was so good. It was so different. It was so real. It was so heartfelt. And I I did aspire to to write as good as some of those songs that were coming out of Nashville. So. Do you have a song, uh, Benita, in your catalog that uh, you know you had the success with Garth Brooks and, and other artists? Is there a song you've got there now that you think is perfect for a certain artist, and you 
just want to find a way to get to the get it to them, or you're hoping one oh, day yeah. they'll record. Is there some something in your catalog like that? I have lots of those. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of those. I don't want to jinx anything by saying it out loud, but you know. <laughs> but I, I got one song right now that I'm hoping is it's going to be perfect for a new movie that is coming. It's going to, it's, the movie's not out yet; it's in production. But it's a song I I co-wrote with Rip Zipperman, and it's just great. And so I'm hoping it's going to get in this movie. Excellent. So we'll see. Whole, <laughs> yeah. We'll be sending positive thoughts your way, Benita. But that's a whole other thing. That's a cool thing, getting music in uh, TV or movie because it's you know it really uh, enhances the scene. I mean, for you as a writer, it's awesome. But when we're watching it, that scene now becomes more dynamic because of the music. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and and so many uh, so many songs get launched through film nowadays is as hard as it is to you know radio traditional radio kind of isn't like what it used to be but playlists are mm. very limited on some of like the main big time radio stations in all genres and so for an indie artist it's it's hard to get you know if you, you're not going to get airplay on those stations so you have to look for different ways to get your music out there and, and film and tv right. is another is, is another one as well as indie radio and satellite radio and yeah. internet radio. Very cool. Yeah, it's these days. Yeah, trying to be creative and think about uh, different ways to get noticed, uh, as opposed to just traditional radio. Uh, yeah, a songwriter has to do it all now. You know, you have to think of of ways not just to well, not only to write a great song, but also to how are you going to get your song out there. Hmm. Yeah, it's. I guess that's kind of. It's a challenge, obviously, but I guess there's a bit of excitement in that too, by trying to sort of rack your brain and think think of a a, a new way to get music out. Wow. <laughs> it takes a lot of racking. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> racking that brain. <laughs> We're here in 2016 now, Benita. Uh, you mentioned the new album. We're all excited to hear that, and I uh, can't wait to learn more about that. But do you have some goals you've set for this year? That uh, things you want to accomplish uh, in the months ahead? Yeah, mainly, actually, it does center around this album. Um, I just want to, uh, well, I want to release it. And then, you know, I want to try to get it to, uh, I want, there are some songs on there that uh, that I want to get to certain artists and also um, some aiming for some film and TV placement. So, I'll be working on those things as well as I'm also a uh, part-time uh, yoga teacher, so I do that to keep my mind and my body strong and healthy. Oh, great. And so I really enjoy that. So I'm very, very, very into yoga and my yoga practice. And also coming up more to Toronto to visit my sweetheart up there. So, <laughs> yeah, it'll be a good year, I hope. <laughs> well, the uh, new album is coming out very shortly, and I'll encourage our listeners to head to iTunes. Your past albums are there with some of the songs we heard on the show and many more. Uh, that's at iTunes. BenitaHill.com is your website. Our listeners can check yeah. out as well. Thanks so much for being here, man. It was a real pleasure talking with you. Oh, and you too, Dave. Thank you so much for having me on. My guest has been singer-songwriter extraordinaire Benita Hill. I'm Dave Woods, and that'll wrap up this edition of In the Country. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.